Welcome back to this week's Two Men in the Middle. This is where two men in the middle of the country get together and talk about politics, current events, and other fun stuff. I'm Craig Ewing. I'm Brandon Kinnig. Brandon, it's uh, it's been a minute. It's been five or six months since we put down anything on the on the mics. Yes, I think it was early last summer, maybe midsummer. I want to say it was like August, and then we did okay. a, we did a couple spotty. I think after you're that. right. We did do one, yeah, August, um, and then maybe a few after that. I know that we didn't really have anything until the fall yeah. election season. Yeah, so yeah. it's been a while. And part of that is again, my my father had a stroke in December of 2022. No, I'm sorry, 2021. Yeah, December 2021, dad had a stroke. So I've been dealing with some stuff. And it's just been hard. back and forth to Florida uh, and then helping them move. And you've, yeah. There, there's the whole Hurricane Ian chapter that wiped them out in Florida and an emergency move to Illinois. It's life's gotten a little complicated over the last seven or eight months. So sometimes getting together for an hour once a week is easy. Sometimes it's just sometimes the most impossible not. thing in, in the world. Exactly. And you've been through some some different career opportunities, some other things too at this point in time. Yes, I started a new job last year, actually uh, right at the beginning of June. And then part of that job has also required me to travel more than I have yeah. in the past for yeah. work, which I've done. So Has that been good or has that been bad? Uh, it's good and bad. <laughs> uh, I mean, I'm racking up the frequent flyer miles, yeah. so I'm <laughs> building up a nice uh, cushion there and, and getting status on Delta, which I... Uh, appreciate but uh but yeah it's it's nice to have breaks too where you're just not yeah flying from one place to the other like last month i think i was home last month was kind of an anomaly too because i had personal travel that was already scheduled and then every single bit of work travel got lumped into the same month yeah so i think i was home four or five days out of the entire month the rest of the time i was on the um you know traveling so it's it's good to be stationary now for a while, uh, but uh, but yeah, there's that and trying to get stuff done on on the house and keep up with weather and yeah. Did you buy a house? No, I my my existing house. Okay, so I'm tra- I'm still working through contractors and gotcha. slowly but surely I'm kind Wait, of on. That's the last... a lot of fun. Oh yeah, <laughs> it's a saga. Well, I would say coming out of the, out of the pandemic, I would consider myself three quarters retired. I do a little work here and there. Uh, do some part-time work for some people who own uh, uh, kind of a, a, a granite and concrete furniture shop. That's interesting. But I just decided after the pandemic, and then you know my dad needs some some assistance as well. That I've just taken a big step back from work and trying to find out what it means to be what it means to be retired. Yeah, it was kind of a perfect storm of events to do that too. It was. I'm really glad that that uh, you know. I just said the word I'm glad. And then I was trying to piece together the next sentence about, was I glad about the pandemic? Was I glad about my dad's stroke? There wasn't a lot there to be glad <laughs> yeah. about, but it, I did have the opportunity to have these big chunks of time off. And that, that has helped a lot. And I've been very, very, very thankful for that. Now, um, but politics stops for no one, Brandon. <laughs> it does not. <laughs> Are we, we, we talked about this a little bit before we turned the mics on. Has anything it feels like a lot's changed since we last talked politics on a podcast. It also feels like nothing's changed. Just tell me kind of your your mood or your sense of where we are, you know, right now. We've gotten past the midterms. We're pretty much sure Biden's going to run again, or at least that's kind of the prevailing wisdom. Way. Trump is right back where Trump always is, leading the polls as being the the uh, the the nominee for the Republican Party. Just where are we, Brandon? 
I, th- I think the best way to state it is that a lot has changed, but a lot hasn't changed. So a lot has changed in terms of the, the day-to-day and the, the timeline of events and the cyclical seasonal nature of politics with midterm elections. We saw some pretty impactful change as far as those election results. Uh, this was an election that Republicans should have won handily with the economic headwinds mm-hmm. at their backs, and they did not. They not only did not gain the Senate, they lost it, uh, lost an additional seat in the Senate, uh, and they barely gained the House back. And, and so the House will definitely be in play next election cycle mm-hmm. in 2024. Yeah. But I guess why things don't change is that we nothing was learned from that. There was learnings. There was no taking away anything from that outcome, no introspection, of course, no autopsy report. I mean, they had an yeah. autopsy report in 2012, back when we had normal candidates running normal uh, political races, so to speak, in America, let alone we're not going to have an autopsy now no. when we're just running these, you know, batshit crazy candidates <laughs> who don't do well. And the fact is nothing changes because guess what? These candidates lose and they immediately decide to run again. They Well, number one, they either run for another office or number two, they refuse to concede. And like Kerry Lake, they claim that they are the existing um, governor. It was interesting. There was a rally. Kerry Lake was a headline speaker at CPAC a couple weeks ago. God, CPAC. And just, we, we probably had a little technical glitch right there for a second. That was me. Sorry, oh, okay. folks. A little bit a little bit rusty on the equipment here. So Getting back in the swing of things. If you things. hear Brandon kind of just fade out there for like two <laughs> seconds and fade back in, that that's me. Sorry, Brandon. That is why. No, no worries. So Kerry Lake was asked, uh, you know, because she was voted in the CPAC straw poll as the top choice for VP on Trump's ticket. And when a reporter asked her about that, she's like, well, I'd have to decline because I'm governor and I can't serve as governor and VP at the same time. So again, when you live in this alternate reality, so she believes that she's governor, but at the same time may run for Senate um, in Arizona, which would be fantastic. You have- uh, If you're a Democrat, it is. Right. So, and then you have- uh, the Mastriano in Pennsylvania, who's already said he's going to run for, sure. um, I believe, the Senate seat, the next one that's open up, um, Bob Casey's seat. So you have all of these just very extreme uh, candidates who lose by wide margins, and they don't accept their losses. They immediately decide yeah. they're running again. Nothing has mattered. Nothing changes. It's not like the electorate rejected them, apparently. And then there is no recognition of that among leadership either. So if you're talking about Kevin McCarthy, a Speaker of the House, they are proceeding as if they have this large lopsided majority, this mandate going through with these you know, committees on yeah. um, government persecution, whatever they're calling it now. So <laughs> it's it, the weaponization, weaponization of, of government. government. Yeah. That's right. Very so, important committee. So again, it's Things change. There are outcomes to events, but there is no recognition of those changes anymore because most of the people in politics have decided that they can live in this alternate reality. They can grift off of it. They can fundraise off of it, and they will pay no political consequences for that until the money dries up, until the support dries up, and until – they are basically rejected and outcast. It's going to continue to occur. And then on, in some other areas outside of the politics, Biden is still mired in the low 40s. His yeah. approval rate and He's not going to get up changed. over that. It's impossible for him to get over 40%. Trump is still as unpopular as he was, but yeah. is still riding high in the Republican primary 
poll. So it's like 2016 deja vu all over again on the Republican side as far as presidential politics. I think you said something that that to me really sums up kind of where we've, we've landed. After everything we've been through since 2016, let, let's just start at, at the Trump presidency till today. I think what you're seeing is what American political life looks like with all accountability stripped out of it. Exactly. We were headed this way to begin with. It accelerated during Trump, and now it's codified with people like this insane woman, Carrie Lake. There's no accountability for what you do politically. There's no accountability anymore for losing. I know it's going to sound really difficult for younger listeners to understand this, but when I was coming up, if you lost an election, especially a national election, you were done. Yeah. There was no second act there for you. There was no you. future, yeah. You said goodbye at the speech, and you disappeared. That that's one thing that's changed in modern politics. But Craig, that's that, also bet during the time when people conceded their elections. Like there was concession well, speeches; uh, uh, those I'll, don't exist anymore. I'll take you one further. <laughs> that came back from a time when you did something shameful. You felt shame about it. Yeah, there you apologize. There were public apologies. There were guardrails. You didn't talk about certain things. You tried to behave a certain way. Politics was not this zero sum game blood sport. Politics has always been dirty and messy. Yeah. I'm not trying to say that. Oh my God! Until Trump got here, that's what dirtied the water to the point that we are today, but certainly the lack of accountability for your words, your actions, and most importantly, your political results, we just don't seem to care anymore. No. As long as you're on my team and you're against what I'm against or you like what I like, I guess you're you're free to do whatever you want. That's a common denominator here is that voters don't hold politicians accountable anymore. I mean, they don't face the political outcomes they need to face to basically ride off into the sunset to, you know, and to be, you know, a thing of the past. Yeah. That is what doesn't happen. And again, we've talked about this ad nauseum, but you can point to the polarized electorate. There's less split ticket voting than ever yeah. before. We only have two senators right now that hail from or maybe three, you know, very few in the House that hail from states where there was a split outcome in the presidential congressional elections. So, yeah, there is no, I mean, and, you know, George Santos is like Good that God. personified yes. because he can say and do anything. And there's constantly new information coming out. There's new information about this supposed uh, bank fraud scam that he was running out of the credit card scam. Yes, yeah. the credit card scam. Um, but, I mean, he can say and do anything, and it doesn't matter because Kevin McCarthy needs his vote. And he's already said, by the way, he's going to run again. So, absolutely. <laughs> Why wouldn't No he? shame. No there, shame. There's no shame. There's no accountability. George Santos is the perfect example of this. If you're a checkbox that adds to my political power, I don't care who you are. Right. You're you're going to be here. You're on the team. And it doesn't matter what you did or what you said and, because and, it's about power. Until we change the way that we elect politicians and that means changing uh, the way that primaries are structured. And that doesn't necessarily entail that you would have to go to ranked choice voting. There are many no. other types of voting mechanisms. You can do um, what they call the uh, final five uh, yeah. where primaries where they all run together, also called jungle primaries. You can then do runoffs You know, after that to select the top two. There's a number of ways that you can basically create an atmosphere that gets more of the electorate out to vote, um, more people people voting on more candidates at once, you're going to have more mainstream candidates that way. And you're going to be able to refute this idea because you basically have a notion now where you have 
um, more than 75% of congressional districts that are solidly blue or red, where basically the person is elected in the primary. That's where all the work is done. They don't have to fundraise after the primary. They don't have to campaign. And they know that. And so, and the campaign, the primary, those voters are the 20 to 25% that get out that are rocked rib, hardcore ideologues who are going to force those candidates into the most extreme positions, and then they will keep voting that way because they'll need to continue getting through those primaries. Change the primary system, you change the caliber of candidate that you have. It it was also back in the day, if a party lost, a party would try to learn. Why did we lose? How could we do better at the next election? The Republicans, and in some ways the Democrats, have stopped doing that. Have there have the Republicans learned any lessons coming out of the midterm? Is there any modification they're doing moving forward from a lesson they learned from the the historic lack of of progress they made in the in the midterms? I don't think so. I mean, I, I haven't seen anything that would allude to that, and I haven't seen any Republican leaders. I, I mean, you've you've had Mitch McConnell and others who have been validated by statements they made during the campaign that, you know, th- these candidates were too extreme. They were out of uh, the mainstream. They w- were not going to be able to, to win. But in terms of operationally, what do you see? No, because, I mean, look at the RNC. I mean, they reelected Ronna Mc- Ronna, Romney McDaniel, yeah. <laughs> who has been in charge now through three lost election cycles. And it wasn't really even close. No, and she hasn't been held accountable. I mean, if you were going to start with accountability, you would elect a new RNC chair, realize, hey, something's gone wrong. And more so is that the rub against uh, McDaniel is that from the very beginning, she, in a way that no previous chairs have done, aligned the RNC to basically be an arm of the Trump campaign. Yeah. In fact, I believe up until a couple months ago, the RNC was still paying all of Trump's legal bills. That's not normal. That's not has not happened the past 50 years. But that became the thing in the Trump era was that the RNC and Trump were inseparable. They were one in the same. And the party has locked arms with Trump and has gone down this uh, losing um, election timeline with him. And so they, the delegates who voted decided not to change that. So they rejected every opportunity to change course. And I think the Republicans have latched on to, to – with Joe Biden as president, there's a constant stream of consciousness from the Republicans and the Republican media entities about Joe Biden's lack of energy, lack of charisma, lack of being able to communicate effectively and be a dynamic leader that they all see that the president of the United States needs to be. Right. They, they make this connection back to Trump and his energy level. I think that that's odd because I thought Trump was just a lunatic and there, there was no amount of energy that, that made him yeah. a better president. You see this for like not going to East Palestine or Palestine in Ohio. You see this where, you know, yesterday a, a Russian jet downed a, uh, a drone, a drone yeah. of ours. And I think what the Republicans, in lack of coming up with any type of coherent uh, philosophy, governing philosophy, or foreign affairs philosophy, everything is about lack of energy, lack of presence, lack of excitement. That's one of their main kind of kind of hits that they keep going with over Biden with. 
to me, that just shows it's not substance a party it's... that is totally devoid of ideas, policies, oh, and a direction forward. I mean, when do they talk about policies? I think for – I mean, anybody who tuned in to uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders' response to the State of the Union address, you didn't see any type of policy argument. No. It was all about wokeism, and it was dark, and it very much invoked uh, Trump's carnage yeah, uh, inaugural speech. That was the vibe I got from her speech. And if you hear and see these politicians talk, they're not talking about tax policy or anything innovative in regards to the economy or shoring up manufacturing or even foreign policy. It's all about fighting wokeism. It's all, I mean, it's basically, uh, you know, stick it to the left uh, and, you know, own the libs. I mean, that's the mantra now. And that's really everything that they do. And that's become even heightened because the House Republican caucus has become more extreme, and you've had personalities like Marjorie Taylor Greene that have been elevated now because, I mean, and I've said this for a while, she's basically de facto speaker because Kevin McCarthy has relied on her support to such a degree that she basically decides what gets introduced and what the messaging is. And what's interesting for Republicans is now that Nancy Pelosi has retired, they had her as a punching bag for so many years, decades, and they would use her in campaign ads and in mailers and try to tie all uh, Democrats to her all the way down to the local level. They're not going to have her anymore to do that. So it'll be interesting to see what they come up with. But they've quickly pivoted to um, wokeism, to drag queens. I mean, it's all of these side issues that they are using yeah. to animate their base now. And, and I've said this for a while. If Democrats were smart, I mean, they would do what uh, Republicans did with Nancy Pelosi. They would do with Marjorie Taylor Greene. And when the next election cycle— you can't. You can tie Republicans to Marjorie Taylor Greene because she is okay. a visible— Yes, you can. I, yeah. I thought you meant the line of attack. The line of attacks oh, no. on Pelosi was about how how good she was. No, it's a tactic. So tactically, okay. being able to tie Republicans to her because she's visible. She was visible to say the union when she was up there yelling. I, I mean, she has this wide platform. She, ha- she has more visibility than really McCarthy does, I yeah. mean, at this point. So again, Democrats, if you're listening— Use her in campaign ads next cycle, tie Republicans to her because that would be an effective play. And that's what Democrat, Republicans did to Democrats for 30 plus years. One thing I think that's changed in the six or seven months that we haven't put a pod down is the trans issue has become front and center as the culture fight that the Republicans and Democrats seem most willing to fight. Yes, it's not I- accidental that. DeSantis has yes. elevated that in Florida. I, I don't think we've ever really talked about trans or trans issues because I, I still don't quite know what the issue is. There, there are trans people. There have been trans people for all of human history. I understand that identifying as trans has, has exploded. I understand that trans up to this point was like 90% women transitioning to men. There's a huge phenomenon now of women transitioning to, to men that that's new. It seems like there's a whole bunch here we need to study and, and find and find more out about. And all we're doing is focusing on one small issue, teenage surgery and hormone treatments for young trans children. Uh, to me, that's between doctors and parents and the government has absolutely no business in that decision. This is why I get so confused by the Republicans right right now. What what are Republicans? I mean, 
do they believe the government now has the ability to step between a parent, a child, and a doctor and start dictating what care is going to be available to a child because of what? Because they don't understand the issue? Because it's a religious issue? I don't understand why the Republicans have picked this specific issue, and I don't understand where this issue fits in traditional conservatism. Well, and it does it because, again, they've elevated this and and basically staked out this ground just now. It's not like the abortion debate where Republicans uh, have—there's been this large portion that have been on the anti-side for decades. I mean, this is relatively new, and so coming out against parents— making these decisions against hospitals and 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 having mm-hmm. and basically being for the state imposing these restrictions and stepping in between uh parents children and their doctors is new and it, it is anti- the antithesis of what they espouse in terms of limited government although you could argue i think there's been a pivot now i think it's it would be very difficult for any republican especially running on the national level to run on limited government or fiscal conservatism because the party has pivoted so much in the era of Trump. I mean, everything DeSantis is doing in Florida is big government, government coming in between business and um, the individual. And I mean, the latest thing in Florida, revoking the license of that um, Hyatt in Miami. Because they had a drag show. Well, and and again, what's interesting is because they knew that's the only thing that they could do. There's nothing they can do against the actual operator of the drag show itself, right? Which again, Mm -hmm. that was, the hotel was letting them use that venue. The drag show was paying for it so instead they basically take out take it out on the hotel and again it's all about performative politics and DeSantis's political aspirations but it's also a very dangerous precedent to set to have the government come out and take that type of uh you know punishing action retribution against the private business uh for something that's not against the law where again these in this case parents uh the advertising for it stated that parents could bring, you know, uh, people younger than yeah. 18 if they were accompanied by an adult. Well, in, how is that different than going to a rated R movie with an adult? Or How, how, <laughs> how is it different than saying that's a parental decision if they want their right. kids to see that or not? Wouldn't – this is what What I, about parents that take their kids to Hooters? I mean <laughs> – Yeah, that's true. Um <laughs> This is where I get very confused with what the modern Republican Party is or what this iteration of the Republican Party is. Because to me, it would be we're going to pass a law that might say, hey, if you're putting on one of these shows, you have to clearly advertise the content and you have to clearly give it a rating system like a rated RX, whatever, like that. And then it is up to the parent to decide, is this appropriate for my child? Help me out, Brandon. I'm not completely delusional to thinking that's a traditional conservative Republican response. That would, yes, exactly. Because right now what we're saying is we are, we are supplanting the, the, the will of the parent with the will of the government on this specific issue because here's where I get lost because the nature of the issue, because it's, I don't because it's politically advantageous. It, it's <laughs> absolutely politically advantageous. I, I they're they're floundering. And so this is about seeking. And I I wouldn't even go so far as to call it an issue. It's not an issue. They're trying to grasp that because they don't have issues and because there's a lack of yeah, substance. I guess that's it's true about too. trying to find yeah. a culture war issue now that'll resonate. Abortion does not. Roe v. Wade has been overturned. The the momentum is on the pro choice side now, and so that's 
no longer an issue that that works well when it comes to Republican politicians. And gay marriage is basically settled law, and public opinion is completely turned on that. Um, The gun debate as well is pretty fraught with a lot of minefields because of the just never-ending mass shootings in this country. And there's been always been greater support for gun control. So where do they go? They go, they latch onto the trans issue. They latch onto drag queens. They they try to find one of these issues, tie it to this idea of grooming and that it's, you know, dangerous to kids. And that's that's the argument that they're trying to make. It's but the problem is there's no consistency, right? So they're for government intervening in this instance, but not in other instances. It's kind of just here and there willy nilly. And what you just said, that's where their argument breaks down. The logic in, I'm not going to let you make this decision as a parent. I'm going to circumvent the government's decision-making for you on this one thing. And then outside of this thing, I'm going to preach a totally different message. Right. And I've been trying to figure out why is it this thing? Because I agree with you. Part of it is they just don't have any other issue to run on from a a policy perspective. So they're going to latch on to this. Is it fair to say, though, Brandon, conservatives in the last 50 years, I'm going to throw abortion in this pot, too. They've lost every major social issue. They have every you cultural can make, issue. You can make lost. the case that they won Roe v. Wade. I would make the case that you didn't because you're just you're not getting the outcome you wanted in the states now. And right. you're never going to get a federal ban that's on abortion. That, that's never going to happen. So on a longer arc, you know, you're fighting a losing, a losing battle. So is it just that you need that you need to remain relevant now? You need to make people angry. You need to make sure the base is fired up. Is that the whole, I guess probably that's the whole basis for why the trans issue is what it is. Yeah, I think it's basically choosing short-term gains over long-term viability. They know long-term demographically where the country is going. And again, let's be honest, we've stated this too. Republicans have only won the popular vote in a presidential election once in the past oh, seven times since 1988. So that's what is times, that's yeah. 30 years? It's it's yeah. six, six elections. Yeah. Yeah. Something like that. Six or seven elections. Once in six or seven yeah. elections. I mean, they've lost it every other time. I mean, that's the longest winning streak by any Republican party since the, or any a political party since the Civil War. And so Republicans know that. And I, these uh, what counts or passes for intellectuals that are still left within the party know <laughs> that, um, this new crop of pseudo-intellectuals. So again, they seize on, they're looking for what can we do to exploit division in the current term and just you know rack up our numbers, our wins, because we know they're not going to last. Yeah. And we just, it's about short-term gain. And that's also where we've left out critical race theory. That's the other one that they've latched onto. So yeah, it's critical true. race theory, trans, drag queens. Yeah. Those are the ones. So they're fighting this like two-pronged battle um, you know, one in the schools uh, education front with critical race theory, and then the other with uh, trans issues and drag queens, and and so it's and it's I don't think it's it's accidental if you look at some of these uh, pundits and uh, provocateurs who have been at the forefront of some of these issues, they've tested them you know on Twitter and other places you know within the last several years to see how the the base and and those that are most rabid would respond and that's when they decide to take a national and i mean it's not accidental now that you have other governors other 
candidates with political ambitions that are picking up on it. And you have this forefront of, you know, anti-trans legislation now that's yeah. exploding in state houses across the country because of that. I don't think nationally that's going to help Trump, DeSantis, whoever runs I don't the think Republican so either, side. Yeah. I don't think that's going to be. I, I keep going back to Trump lost the election in 2020 because 5% of white males decided not to vote for Trump. White males, I think, are the only group he did not expand his vote count by. He expanded it with women, Latinos, black men, maybe black women he didn't. But Trump did better across the board uh, with almost every minority group than he did in in, in 2016. Where was I going with this, Brandon? I just forgot my, my train of thought. I'm looking at you like you can read my mind. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to I'm try going. to figure out where were you going. So, so he, he did better with all of these things. I, I the five percent. Okay, here it is. The five percent of white men that he lost. How has he done anything since January sixth? We'll go back from the day he lost the election in November. I found nothing that brings those five percent of white men back, no. and I don't see anything in the Republican Party that lets them understand who they lost who they gained with, and how they can keep and grow some of those constituencies. A good example of that trend line was the congressional district. I think it was the 5th Congressional District in Colorado. So that's uh, Lauren Boebert's district. (laughs) She barely won re-election by 500 votes. That is a very white district. Uh, very educated, um, you know, the suburban, suburbanites, um, Aspen is in that district. So that's a district that has long been Republican held. And it almost went for to a Democrat and it very well might the next election cycle. That's an example of lessons not learned. And when it comes to Trump, there was a thinking, okay, now that Trump is off the ballot, he's lost in 2020, 2022 is going to be different because he's no longer part of the equation. But if you look at the states that Biden picked up over Trump and the states that are becoming blue, states like Arizona, Georgia, mm-hmm. um, you know, those two states, they they didn't shrug off their Democratic gains. They stayed in the Democratic column this yeah. last election cycle. Um, and even like Georgia, which was most at risk, stayed uh, when all the votes were counted, um, you know, pretty solidly in the Democratic column. So the Republican Party, if they think that they can still play the Trump game without Trump and still win, like that's clearly not happening. Yeah. And in other uh, um, what I would call uh, margin states, marginal states like Michigan and Pennsylvania, um, Democrats won big. I mean, in Michigan, they control all three yeah. branches of government, first time in over 30 years. I mean, they shut Republicans out of power completely. So there is a a, a lesson here that Republicans don't seem to be learning and don't seem to have any intention of learning. And hey, Lauren Boebert, there's no way to say this without sounding like an a-hole, but I really don't need a lecture from you on family issues, trans kids, <laughs> oh, anything Oh, we like haven't that. even talked about when this. When your 17-year-old <laughs> son just knocked up a 15-year-old. Yeah. Hey, I get it. And I, she's celebrating it. <laughs> uh, she's celebrating she's going to be a grandma at 36. Hey, I, I have two kids. They're young adults now. Stuff happens. I, I get it. it. It's You never want to throw stones around somebody's no, I, kid doing something. And I don't want to do that either. But, but again, don't lecture me then about trans issues. Yeah. Bore, no, you have enough issues of your own. I really don't need to hear your opinion. And the last thing I'll just say is there is a history in her family of uh, girls having getting pregnant at a very young age. She's like, a grandma at 36. Right. And when did she have that kid? Exactly. I and 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 also let's not forget that her husband got into some trouble some years back for flashing teenagers. <laughs> if you remember that, 
that's like right. at his, a bowling alley. At a bowling right? alley, yeah. yeah. So there's a lot of issues in that family. Um, but yeah, it, that's interesting about Bobert. She barely won by 500 votes, but yet here she is, one of those ones like you know trying to block McCarthy from being speaker and playing yeah. these games on the floor. Like she has not learned anything, and she will continue behaving as she always has regardless so i mean i always get aggravated when anybody tries to argue from the moral high ground where i'm not arguing fact i'm yeah. just arguing that morally you're i'm better or you're not doing something there's that, that old that maxim should be people who live in glass houses should have thrown stones and again, <laughs> most of these people live in glass houses i understand <laughs> i'm getting to a very old man theme here but again back in my day you didn't grab the moral high ground if you didn't have the moral high ground right very few people took that that approach because they knew if I say I'm coming from this place of moral superiority to you, Brandon, I better be able to hold that position. Oh, agreed. Back when shame mattered, back when there was a sense of irony, back when hypocrisy actually meant something. (laughs) I might be held accountable for something I actually said and have to deal with it. Right. And that's when, when you look at all of the things Trump does on truth social there, that's lunacy. If if that were anywhere where the public had greater access to it, if those were tweets... On Twitter, yeah. It'd it, be a completely different thing. He's completely... He's said and done things that make no sense from any from any level of trying to grab political power. I, I, I don't know where the Republicans are that Trump is still the leader of that party. Yeah, I... Again, it's it's deja vu. And I can't we're, believe we're, we started we're the talking pod back about up this. and we started right where we left off. Yeah, Trump is still in charge. No one's going to do nothing, and apparently he's just going to steamroll to the to the nomination. Do you, do you think DeSantis can bump him off that perch? Do you, if if we had to hold you down today and say, tell me who is going to be the twenty twenty four nominee, what's your answer? If you would have asked me last year, if you would have asked me even like three months ago, I would have said so. But DeSantis has been underwhelming yep. on the national stage, and I don't. And again, I think Florida is a very unique animal politically. I think what he was able to do in terms of winning in a landslide re-election of Florida is not something that he could necessarily replicate nationwide because he doesn't have the charisma. He doesn't have the charm. He comes across as very mercurial, very odd, very weird. He doesn't have a lot of close friends. He doesn't like to glad hand. And when you're running in primary states like Iowa, New Hampshire, you have to meet in a diner and, you know, have a cup of coffee with, you know, some random political activist that wants to extol the virtues of ethanol for two hours. And And you have have to be able to listen to them. You have to make eye contact with that person. Not, you have to be Bill Clinton. You have to show interest in them. And he doesn't seem capable of doing that. And I mean, he, he took so long to finally come out with a position on Ukraine, which we'll talk about a little bit later. Which, which wasn't good. Which was good. But but he has refused to stake out any type of positions on any of the major issues. He's tried to play it too safe. And, you know, there's probably some argument that that helps him in the long run because there's less he has to answer for. But it also makes him look weak because you know that no matter what Trump is going to speak his mind about any given issue of the day and be out there and when you have DeSantis who's just quiet and unwilling to to speak out or even stake out a position that doesn't really inspire confidence or enthusiasm last time we talked about presidential election we used the criteria why is it urgent and important that this person be president of the United States Nikki Haley is the classic example of somebody who runs for president and never answers the question to themselves. Right. Why is it urgent and important that I run for president? 
the one thing I know about running for the for president, if you have to ask the permission, if you have to ask anybody's permission <laughs> to run, the American people don't they're not gonna get behind no. you. You don't start your job interview for the most powerful position in the world by asking permission to do it. And that's what she did. And what Republican Party does Nikki Haley see that she can connect to? I I have no clue why this is just a Nikki Haley vanity project. There's just no she has no no way she's going to find her footing in this. I'm not even primary. certain that she could even pin down her own home state of South Carolina. Yeah, she's I think just she could be get VP. blown out there. And again, you know, setting aside her um, flip flops and being you know, supporting Trump and then not supporting him because she's been all over the place and difficult to track because she basically goes wherever the wind blows. Like at her core, I think she's probably closest to a legacy establishment Republican yeah. that we know with traditional. Uh, viewpoints and and issue policy stances, but but there is no lane for that type of Republican no. anymore. Somebody called her a '90s neocon, which that's she probably, probably accurate, yeah. closer to that. And you're right, nobody. What's her base? Who's enthusiastically looking for a Nikki Haley run? So that's what I don't understand: is candidates like her, but especially candidates like Mike Pence is a good example where there's just no lane there's, for him. Yeah. I mean, you have the Trump voters that wanted to hang him, and then like he doesn't have any base of support even outside of um, outside of that. So there's there is no like Mike Pence um, part of the Republican Party. No, I, I mean it just it doesn't exist. So people like Mike Pence and and Nikki Haley to a lesser extent, do they not have? pollsters and advisors around them saying, well, this doesn't look like very probable. Like, are you sure? Like, here's the cost benefit analysis. Like, this is how much money you have to raise and spend. And, you know, like, what's the point? I think they have a whole bunch of consultants just cashing checks. Well, I think that's, that's probably, you're right. And so these are consultants that are cashing in and see an opportunity. And so they're going to ride it out as long as they can. And then they're done. DeSantis may have learned a lesson about, being a little more friendly and doing retail politics from Glenn Youngkin's CNN town hall. Did you see that? I, I actually did not see that. I wanted to, and somehow so I missed Youngkin's it. So strength is his likability. It is his ability to do retail politics. It is sitting down with the at the diner on those silly Fox freaking Fox and Friends <laughs> segments and listening to somebody say something completely ridiculous and act yeah. like he, he's paying attention. He got himself in trouble in the CNN town hall Again, when a young, if I say this wrong to anybody, I apologize. I would say a young trans man. This is a, a, a man who transitioned from a woman to, to a male. And he just said, do you want me going into women's bathrooms? Look at me. I present 100% as a man. Do you think it's a really good idea to force me to use the biological sex bathroom for women? Do you think women would be comfortable with me in there? And Yunkin gave a very honest answer. No. I, I think you're right. And he went back to Virginia and he's proposed legis- a change to the legislation that forms these gender neutral bathrooms. He's getting crucified for that. <laughs> That's an example of what you do to increase your, your, yeah. your constituent. And he didn't give away the farm. He didn't backtrack on a position. He just met somebody, saw some logic in what somebody was saying and said, hey, this is a complicated issue. Maybe this is the way to go. And what DeSantis learned from Yunkin doing that is, I ain't doing that. 
why, why should I be good at retail? Why should I interact with people? Why should I go to these things and talk to these people when it may put me in a bind or put me in a place where now I have to actually make a change? Well, and that should She's be, not going to risk that. Well, and it should be rewarded. I mean, that's, that's what, uh, you know, politicians used to do back in the, the, you know, the olden times. I mean, that's, I mean, that was classic retail politics, town hall style, where you yep. get feedback in real time, you analyze that feedback, you internalize it, you act upon it as far as policy goes, and you make changes and pivots. Like the idea that somehow that that would be just looked down upon or criticized is crazy that that's where we are in this country. And I mean, that's not going to help you in the primary. No, that's and again, it all goes back to yep. that. I mean, it does him no favors in the yep. primary, which is what he, you know. And if you can't get through a primary, and there's a you can't win a general, you nope. can't win the primary. And and all it takes is one issue, and a Trump-backed, um, you know, yeah. far-right person gets in, and that's he's toast. And so let, let's talk about DeSantis's first kind of misstep happened this week with his his answer to to on Ukraine. And did this come about because Tucker Carlson sent them all oh, emails gosh. or letters asking them to explain their their position on, on Ukraine? Yeah, so Tucker Carlson sends out this questionnaire on Ukraine policy. And for those that don't know, Tucker Carlson is basically a Vladimir Putin Russian asset. Seems to be. I mean, he's taken the uh, Putin line since the beginning of the conflict. He's criticized Ukraine. He said early on he was on Russia's side if he had to choose a side. And his uh, reporting has been along those lines. So he sends out this questionnaire, and all of these Republican candidates grovel because they know that Tucker Carlson reaches so many millions of households, highest-rated cable program. Mm. And we've been waiting breathlessly for uh, DeSantis to say anything about Ukraine because he has it. There was a very awkward moment. I think this was a couple months ago, um, before end of the year last year, when the Florida National Guard came back from a um, uh, yeah. mission in Ukraine yeah. where they were assisting. And uh, DeSantis's office, the governor's office, had even put out a press release about yeah. it. They didn't say anything. They acted like it didn't happen. Like Not it even didn't a bad boy. Good job. Florida no. boys doing their job. Like that is how terrified he is about right. staking out a position that yep. would be – you know, opposite of what the grassroots think. So he comes out yesterday, or I'm sorry, in this questionnaire, and he basically says um, that China should be our priority, um, that Ukraine is not in the U.S. national interest. Um, It's not vital. It's not a vital uh, American interest. And um, he also referred to it as a um, get the a territorial dispute. Yeah. And let's not forget, this was a full-scale invasion with a country that has had solid uh, political boundaries yep. for decades now. And he refers to that invasion, outside invasion, um, as a territorial dispute, which and at this point now, what makes that even worse is this is a, at the year anniversary of the war beginning. And at this point, we know now that war crimes have been committed, all Absolutely. kinds of atrocities, um, untold thousands of Ukrainian children kidnapped and mm-hmm. forced into Russia, separated from their parents. I mean, if if we were living in normal times and there was justice Vladimir Putin would be tried before the International Absolutely. Criminal Court as a um, – Uh, for crimes against humanity um, and war crimes uh, because that's what he's done. And so for 
to whitewash it and say it's a territorial dispute and say that it's not in our uh, vital interest. Well, guess what? I totally agree that China is our top national security threat, but China is also watching what we're doing with Ukraine, and they are paying close attention because if we show weakness and we're not willing to stand up against Russia, China will begin making even more um, aggressive moves than they already are, and there's going to be things we there that we have to counteract. And, you know, we know that if we show weakness towards Russia at this point, uh, Putin has long had expansionist goals. Yeah, and it, what's to stop him from it, going into Moldova or then to eventually yeah. creep into one of the NATO countries um, on the Baltic Rim, like Lithuania or Estonia yeah. or Latvia? So there is so much riding on what happens right now in Ukraine. And yes, it's a stalemate. But if Russia were to gain the upper hand and the U.S. were to just backtrack or if the U.S. were to do what Trump has promised, which is essentially in the conflict in 24 hours if he's president. Well, that's ridiculous. Which he would do by withdrawing just all giving him USAID. Just the yeah. yeah. I mean, I mean he on. would withdraw USAID yeah. and Russia would just you know have full carte blanche of what they want to do. But again, what's interesting is that this was an opportunity for DeSantis to actually separate himself from Trump and yes. say, this is where I'm the leader in the room. Um, this is how I'm the adult in the room and responsible. And he chose not to. And he left no wiggle room because he, there was this cadre of foreign policy experts and interventionists who definitely support Ukraine who kept saying, well, just wait till he comes out and actually says something like he's going to be reasonable and he hasn't been. And so he totally forfeited that opportunity. I don't, I don't know strategically. I'm assuming what he's doing is basically saying DeSantis knows that I have to win the primary first. The primary voters that I'm going to have to deal with are basically Trump's base. They are not up for the war from war in Ukraine. Because they don't understand the geo- geopolitical consequences if Ukraine falls to Russia. Right. So I'm going to stake out the position that is going to help me in the, pri- in the primary, and I'll pivot to the general if we get that, that far. I think that's everybody's – everybody is taking some variation of that into the primary. Nikki Haley and Tim Scott are basically saying, we are Trump. We're just nicer. Right. I mean, they they won't name a single policy difference between themselves and Trump. So they're basically, again, that's to the base saying we are exactly like him when it comes to policy side. We're just a little more palatable to other other folks. Well, and I get that. But that's much more dangerous to broadcast on the foreign policy front, particularly with this issue, when you have people taking stock of your public statements like Putin and others that can then use those. And let's not forget his statement will probably run on uh, Russian TV as propaganda on their news channels and be replayed and replayed. So it's the opportunity to create dissonance. uh, So conflict politically and around the world, uh, you know, disinformation campaigns. So that's where it gets taken to a whole nother level when you're talking about a foreign policy issue with grave implications like the war in Ukraine. Remember, I think it was like 2019. I think it was, before the pandemic, when Russia shot off that hypersonic missile. Yeah. Do you remember Senator Tom Cotton going on every single conservative talk show, radio show, podcast, talking about how superior the Russian military was to the United States, how far we had fallen behind. And if a war actually broke out with Russia, we would really, really be in trouble because they have leapfrogged us in technology. The point I'm trying to make is for the second time in my life, the United States government has completely lied to me about the strength of the Russian slash Soviet military in an attempt to do something politically that they didn't think they could tell the truth to accomplish. 
Yeah. The Russian military is an absolute joke, and they've proven it over the past year. There's some estimates that are say that the Russians have lost over 120,000 troops at this yeah. point, which is and I heard just that's astronomical. Low. And that's a low yeah, estimate. They, they're not organized. They don't have a clear command structure. They don't have enough supplies. It's just the Republicans are using Russia as a way to reinforce the culture war at home of, see, look, they hate you. They hate you. They're spending all this money on on Ukraine, and they're going to let the people of East Palestine, Ohio, just just rot from the chemicals they spilled on on the ground. It's the easiest political pitch to make. Well, yeah, it's the idea that you can't um, jump up and down and chew gum at the same time, right? It's like, you know, we need to just focus on domestic issues only. Like, we can't do both. We can't somehow focus on domestic issues and and have better regulations, uh, you know, uh, around the transportation of chemicals by uh, railways and actually have uh, foreign policy in Ukraine that's pro-West and looks after the interests of NATO countries. Nope, Apparently can't do both. And the irony is DeSantis, which there's actually audio of this out there, which I'll have to go back and find. Um, I read the transcript when he was in the House when President Obama was president because, you know, he served oh, a term or two. Trump's got a whole line of attack. I oh, think, on there's that. so much. Oh, but yeah. when he was in the House, he was a hawk on Russia. Yeah. In fact, he was upset because of the red line in Crimea and the fact that the Obama administration did act aggressively enough. And he said that Russia was a major geopolitical foe. And if we didn't act to counteract them, that um, NATO was in jeopardy. I mean, (laughs) it's a 180 from where he is today. Yeah. Ron hasn't got to the complicated part yet. Oh, no. Like, And and Trump's people have just a treasure uh, trove of material. And some of Trump's uh, advisors are people that actually worked for Ron. And so they know where the bodies are buried and they have all the goods on him. That's going to be get very ugly very fast. Trump's just waiting. Heard he's been workshopping some new names. He hasn't quite hit the name yet. DeSanctus, that's not even DeSanctimonious was the one he first used. Yeah, if you were which Ron that, that's too, that that's kinda, too long. It's too Doesn't long. roll off the tongue. He'll fly. You know, marketing genius like him, he'll he'll figure it out. But you know, Trump is actually um, in a very clever move. He's going after Ron and in, uh, in, when he's in Iowa, and the Iowa electorate, you have to remember, Republican electorate too, is like you know, 70% is over the age of 65. So he's like, hey, you know, DeSantis wants to cut Medicare, Social Security. Like, you know, I mean, he's really hammering that, which again is a smart play to do. Um, because do you think if Mitch McConnell had the chance to murder Rick Scott, he'd do it? <laughs> oh I think he's, I seriously think he would. Oh, I yeah. To be if a fly he knew on the he wall, could get away with it, the tension I, I is he, palpable between totally those two. Yeah. Rick Scott just completely stepped on his dick. Just yeah. complete unforced error. Just just a total dumb dumb. Well, yeah. I mean, and and. <laughs> Rick Scott doesn't know when to stop. I mean, no. just like last year no. during, I mean, and Rick Scott is responsible. He was head of the um, the NRSC, the you know Republican Senatorial Committee. How? All he those has bad candidates. no political instincts at all. Nobody else wanted to do it. <laughs> Rick Scott is another example. Rick Scott and Mike Pompeo fascinate me. Mike uh, Pompeo has none of the personal qualities I shouldn't say that. You don't think he's going to become president? I'm sure Mike Pompeo is a very honest and a very, I'm sure integrity is is important to him. And I'm sure he has functioned with those two things throughout his life. With that said, he does not have the temperament, the presentation to be president of the United States. It's just, there's nothing about him comes across as that somebody, and Carl Rove was right, that somebody could sit at my kitchen table and talk to me. Yeah. 
Well, and I would argue a little bit on the integrity front with Pompeo because he's tried I'm to— I'm giving him the benefit of the doubt. He's tried to rewrite some of the Trump administration's uh, uh, policies and outcomes and areas. For example, like the the agreement with the Taliban and oh, you know tried yeah. to completely act like that was nothing and never happened. But outside of that, yeah. <laughs> I want to pivot and talk a little bit about Fox News. We've been at it for 50 minutes already. already? Wow. We haven't even picked a topic yet. Yeah. Seeing so that we're out of practice— Fox News has two major lawsuits against them. One is from Dominion. One is for smart from Smartmatic. Right. I think the Dominion is one point three million. The Smartmatic's like two point six billion. A billion. One point three yeah. billion. Two point seven. These are massive lawsuits, and they all stem from Fox's reporting around the the election in twenty twenty, and the absolute off the chain lies that the opinion side got kind of pulled into with Trump and just simply wouldn't let go. And regurgitated. And once they got in too deep, they all realized, oh shit, there is no there is no path out of this. The only way to move is forward. Because if we start backing out now, every small step they took to try to inject any amount of truth into that scenario, there was a price to pay with the viewership. It was a money play. Yes, it was absolutely. A money play. You literally have... I think it was Tucker Carlson texting people, the stock price is going down, folks. This is bad yeah. for everybody. We can't keep doing this. And that's what I think makes this so egregious because, you, I mean, this whole time, like, you and I know that they knew. You of know, course they did. And, and there's always been this belief that who they are on camera is not who they are behind camera, that there's this facade, yeah. that there's acting going on. It's almost like cosplay, right? So. Um, it, it reminds me of if you remember when Stephen Colbert used to do that bit of, of yeah. O'Reilly when he had the the Colbert show. I on can't TV. believe he, in character of that bit, testified in front of Congress. Yeah, just awful. But awful. again, that laid out the the idea that you know O'Reilly's chick was that's what it was. It was a chick. It was just it was a. If public I was in Congress, I'd have said, "Hey, you knock that shit off, or we'll drag your ass out of here right now." Yeah. You're in front of the United States Congress, and you're putting on a comedy bit. You, I dislike Stephen Colbert a lot for that. Yeah, but I, I the the larger point is that so we have these text messages, you know, these conversations between these Fox hosts like Laura Ingram and Sean Hannity and Tucker Carlson, and they all knew it was they hogwash. All I mean, they, they are know. just belittling. Giuliani and Sidney Powell as kooks and crazies. You have Tucker Carlson who refers to Trump as a demon and says we're going to be so much better off when he's they, out of there. They all want him. They all on. know. They all like. And and but yet they go to their viewers and they just they they push this lie and this act and they interview Sidney Powell and Giuliani even as they know it's all a facade. And I, you know, and you have the you know the instance here and there. For example, you have the lead um, election desk editor who called Arizona for Biden. Yeah, that person was fired from Fox because yeah, Chris you know, Starwalt. Chris Starwalt. I mean, he yeah. works. He just it. wrote a book actually yeah. recently. Yeah, but he got fired for that right and he was right he was right but that's the thing he couldn't be right because the viewers wouldn't allow it it's not about being right or about being accurate it's about giving the viewers what they want and what they'll tolerate megan kelly has a podcast i am no fan of of megan kelly i'm not either i, I just I, she says i find her to be extremely off-putting i listened to a podcast she did when she talked about this issue she was talking about the tucker carlson release of the january 6th film and how fox news never even mentioned it Fox News never covered it. There was nothing 
on Fox throughout their daytime programming, through their news that even mentioned Tucker Carlson had a had a, a segment about the January 6th tapes. Oh, interesting. The point she was making is when Roger Ailes ran Fox, he made it very clear. The only reason why the opinion people get paid what they make, have the audiences that they have, and are, can operate the way they do, is that we have a legitimate news division. Our news division is seen as one of the best in cable news, and it absolutely was. And the rule is, to, for the opinion people, you never contradict and you never go to war with the news division. Whatever the news division says, it's like the word of God. And that's what you take over into your show. You support it or you ignore it. But there is never a circumstance when Roger Ailes was there where the opinion people got sideways with the news people. Right. That's happening a in, level of control in there. open sight right now. Oh, yeah. Second is... The news division people are not what they used to be. I can remember in a podcast at some point in time, I said, Brett Baer does the closest thing I've seen to a traditional Walter Cronkite, uh, Tom Brokaw news show that I grew up with. Through Dominion's um, disclosure, Brett Baer was one of the news people leading the charge about turning over Arizona. There are are, are text and, and messages where he says, we need to turn over the Arizona decision. We need to go back in and say that was a mistake, purely based on the reaction of the viewers. He was more concerned about what was happening and damaging the audience, damaging being they were going to turn on Newsmax or OAN or some other news source and go away from Fox. That completely it blows shatters apart his reputation. The the reputation, and of the, I would the argue news that he already didn't have the reputation of others that came before him, like Chris Wallace, who had left Fox, and yep. Shepard Smith, who yep. were down the line. I mean, considered a very um, well regarded, renowned by both sides of the aisle. But he's what was left, right? Because most of the um, reputable people that had any um, standing that cared about their reputations had already left Fox News at this yeah. point. I mean, they're just they're no longer there. But but yeah, I think how do you recover from that? I think the interesting thing about the Dominion lawsuit is that their team of attorneys, which who are really experienced and know what they're doing, are going full scorched earth, um, yeah. fire and brimstone, leaving nothing on the table. And I mean, even the uh, the testimony of Rupert Murdoch has been so damaging. I, I mean, what he said, it's just you, there's no way they're like going to come out of this like not financially. Th- these hurt. suits have to get settled. There is no way they're taking this to court. I can't see. Yeah, you're going to let Sean Hannity, Ingram, and Tucker. You're going to let them testify on imagine? the record in Ugh. open court. There's no way. And these lawsuits will do absolutely nothing to Fox. We can tie this into accountability. Fox has suffered no ratings decline since yeah. this came out. No advertisers have pulled out. It, it's, to me, this represents the end. There is no more mainstream media. The only thing that, that I thought is gone could result in a little bit of um, audience loss or just kind of, you know, gradual shift of the audience would be if there were enough people over time that would see this lawsuit learn what um, these hosts were saying and think, well, they're not authentic. Like they clearly yeah. don't believe what they're telling me and think that these people were frauds and then turn to OAN and Newsmax and yes. some of these alternatives. Cause there are alternatives out there people can go to. And so the fact is, is enough of Fox audiences over time going to see these opinion hosts as frauds and less trustworthy because of that? Not that they um, believe that the election was valid and that they no longer believe in the big lie, but they feel 
like, you know, there's been this game played yeah. upon them. But what you said is the biggest part of this. The audience said, I'm not getting the date, the information that I want in the way I want it. And I'm going to go. I don't care if it's true or not. I want to hear how awesome Trump's doing and that we're going to win this. And that the election was a fraud. Correct. And if you won't tell me that, I'll I'll just go to somebody who has. That's the breakdown in news. We have crossed this Rubicon with news that I don't know if we're ever going back. And there's a plethora of easily available alternatives online, satellite that they can go to. We're in on it now. Yeah. As the viewers, as the audience, we're just as much into this as Laura Ingram and Sean Hannity and that whole crew is. Right. We want the narrative to be what the narrative wants. And we, are, we want what it is. We want the narrative to be what we want it to be. And we will punish you if you don't say that. We've, the audience has made the pivot. We're not here for news. We're here for entertainment. And if you don't entertain me in the way that I want, I'll simply take my eyes somewhere else. I'm not looking for the true story. I'm looking for the story I want to hear. And Mike and I, we used to argue this all the time. I grew up in the Walter Cronkite, Tom Brokaw era of news. It was one white guy who just read the news to you and whatever he said, that's what you accepted as as fact. There was no questioning it. Um, I understand how problematic that is and that one person, especially one white guy who's sitting on top of an all white news organization, I'm sure that's what that was mostly in the 60s and 70s, fraught with problems. I, I totally copped to that. My question to you is, are we any better? No, I, all I think of this media, yeah. and Mike used to use the term the democratization of media. Has that gotten us? How are we better than Walter Cronkite coming on saying, okay, America, sit down for 30 minutes. I'm going to tell you what you need to know. You are now informed. You don't need to really watch much of anything else. Read your local newspaper. You have all the information you need. Well, and that's the thing, right? And the democratization of the media assumes that truth will eventually win out, and that's not happening. I mean, clearly we see that there can be bifurcation of messaging and the audience gets split. And so, you know, there is no consensus on what truth is anymore and what is up versus down or left versus right or, you know, is the sky blue? Like, I mean, the most basic truths then become subject to conspiracy and to you know, a number of, you know, different uh, viewpoints that are not grounded in reality because there is a medium and there's a platform and there's someone who continues to provide that. And it almost becomes like a dopamine hit, right? Because I think many of the people in this audience, they have to get that daily to to function and they have to, you know, see the the libs be beat up and they have to feed the outrage machine. And so it almost becomes like a drug. And so if they don't get it from Fox News, I think you're right. They'll go find it from somewhere else. They'll just find out who is selling it to them and they'll go buy it. Brandon, how much news do you think you listen to or consume in, in a day? Oh, it would be difficult to quantify, but a lot. I, I I'd mean, say I'm over three and a half hours. I'm probably four hours. Yeah, I think that's probably right for me somewhere in that ballpark. Yeah. I think in terms of what I read, what I watch, I mean, everything together. And, and it's mostly political podcasts and stuff that take topics and go in-depth on yeah. them. When I was growing up, almost every night as a kid, from 5.30 to 6, we half watched hour, World only. News. Yeah. It was a half hour. Then from 6 to 6.30, you watched your local news because you wanted sports, weather, and you know, the stories really had never changed, but the important news, you, there were always things you could get 
only certain information you get. You had to watch the local news. Right. That model has been completely blown up yeah. into that news is something that takes hours and hours a day to consume and topics have to be drilled into to an infinite degree for me at least to feel like I've got any benefit out of doing it. So not only do I consume a ton more news than I did growing up, I feel the need, we have to go a mile deep in all of the news topics. And I feel like I have to understand all of the, every aspect of the topic I can, or I don't know anything. Right. And I don't, I will argue this with Mike all the time. This isn't better. No, I, and part of that is just a product of the, the information age we live in now, right? Where there is more opportunity to dive in and grasp every detail of a particular event um, or argument, um, you know, to, to see all the different perspectives. And so that all exists and it's available to us like never before. So it's difficult to, to just stop at the highlights or the yeah. summary. Like, no, we, you know, we want to know more because we know there is more and it's out there. We just need to consume it opinion people again i'm just old manning it back in the day if you said something that you knew weren't wasn't true and somehow it got hot mic'd or something that you knew it wasn't true you were done there was a penalty there's a pay consequence for there was for a that, yeah. there was some accountability there will be no accountability to fox news on any of this and they won't give it a second thought because their business model dictates that no behavior changes yeah, and the only thing I hold out hope is that at some point there is some type of like reputational consequence. But how? I yeah. Reputation to who? To the network and to you know Why? the host. Like every <laughs> every night, Tucker Carlson has what four to five million people tuning into that. Yeah. Well, nothing has changed, right? I mean, we've had January sixth. We've had all of these different events, and if anything, I mean. You hear this axiom that um, Fox News and their hosts like Tucker Carlson are the entertainment wing of the Republican Party. They are. Like the entertainment wing is the Republican Party Pretty now. Much. It's not a wing. Like it is Pretty the much. party. There is no other party outside of that. It's the governing part of the party. And that was manifested when, you know, McCarthy decided to hand over yeah. Let, the Let's January wrap up with tapes. the OJ6 tapes there. Yeah. God. I mean, if there was any example of just – complete pandering and posturing to the worst common I found that denominator. His, I found that just to be offensive. I completely. thought what he did was just completely grotesque. Well, and cause he knew Tucker was going 100%. to do what he did. And so it was like, there was, everybody knew that. Um, and it happened. And for those tapes to be handed over like that and to be used gratuitously in that manner, I mean, it wasn't only an affront to the law enforcement, the rest of their lives that day, all of which came out and uh, detested and, and, and criticized it and condemned it. Uh, but, I mean, to the entire country, that we would have an attack on our institutions and our electoral system be repackaged and repurposed as just a tourist event, which is what Tucker Carlson did. Well, and that was all because of McCarthy. I don't yes. even really blame Tucker as much as I blame no. McCarthy because he was in control of he that. He had He's marching orders the from And what did they really show? The, the, the shaman guy, okay, he wasn't the face of this. Right. I don't recall anybody saying that's the mastermind of this. this that was just some moron yeah. who stood out because of the doofus outfit he had on wasn't led into the Capitol. He was one of the first, I think, 30 people into the building because he was there smashing the windows in. Right. The guy had a spear with him. So you mean to tell me you can't understand how cops would say, we need to keep this guy calm because if we throw this dude to the ground and cuff him and any of this mob sees it, we're up shit creek. Yeah. I mean, you can't. 
You can't put that together. And the Sicknick stuff is just ridiculous. When they showed Brian Sicknick, well, look at him walking around. He's obviously not hurt. That was awful. And this, the whole thing, there was no need to do it. It wasn't impactive. The people who came on and said, oh my God, this changes the whole narrative. Just let the bag out that if there was any doubt that they're just totally in the bag. For well, this. and the fact that that's all he was able to craft from just that too shows you that there's no argument. Ridiculous. Oh, and then the other thing about Josh Hawley running saying, oh, other people running too. So, so what? It doesn't change the fact that Josh Hawley yeah. was running for his life when he was the one just like instigating and nobody else it. held their fist up to him. You moron. Right. That's why it's relevant. And it's just, we're just never going to be act like adults again. Are we? We're just not going to do it. <laughs> just not going to do it. Ugh. I just, uh, so we used to end this with pop culture things we were engaged in, movies, books, things like that. That always felt pretty good. Yeah. The only thing that I could say is all the – I watched four movies that were nominated for Oscars. They all sucked. I wasn't crazy about any of the Best Picture nominations Did you watch The Banshees of Inshire? I haven't seen that yet. That's I the do most, want to see don't. that one. Oh, it's, it's the not. most depressing film uh. I've ever seen. Everywhere, everything, all at once. Yeah. I couldn't follow that movie. Most people have said they it couldn't follow it. It had poop emojis that talked in it. I, I didn't think that was a very good movie at all. Top Gun Maverick sucked. As a film, the plot was stupid. The, 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 the acting wasn't that great. Yes, the plane scenes were amazing, but come on. Okay, I'll disagree come with you on, on Top Gun Maverick. But Avatar, but the, honest, the Way of Water, really? That was That's a long, best picture Did now? you see that too? That was like... Over I, three I saw, hours. No, I did not ago. see that because so there's long. no possible way I'm going to see it. drug on and on. Um, Let's put it this way. I think it was Edie Falco's in that movie, right? She was in... Um, Wait, in Avatar? Yeah. She's yeah. in The Sopranos. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Edie Falco, when the movie came out, said, that was eight years ago I did that. <laughs> she literally said, I thought the film had already come out and bombed and just nobody told me. She's like, I didn't even know they were releasing the damn thing. I guess my, this, again, I'll end my old man rant for the night is, uh, what's entertaining anymore? I don't know. TV shows seem to have sucked. The Last of Us is pretty good, but I don't know. Yeah, I haven't seen that yet. I'm trying to remember, recall what I saw, what I've watched recently. I don't know. I need to, I guess my mind has been, I actually upgraded my um, phone, my Android yesterday. Um, and it was a process that took a little bit f- over four hours. And I was curious to find out like four hours. Well, first of all, what do people do? Like I only kept a year's worth of text messages cause I had six years worth cause it was going to take huh. like three hours. Do, do most people keep like their entire text history? Like what's I, the, I wouldn't think so. I, but it's one of those where I kind of like start to gain, get ex- anxiety because I like uh-huh. sort of have regrets yeah. cause I'm like, I like having the context i mean able to reference like yeah. five years ago did i say this to this person or that hey did this actually happen or did we go on this vacation you know this type of thing you're single branded i'd wipe it out if i were you <laughs> well, that's that's, that's true but anyway so it took four and a half hours because of all the files and everything and then um i had to re-log into all of my apps and because this phone i have work stuff on it too yeah. so i have work calendars and client calendars and personal calendars and i have all the syncing up that has to do but i'm telling you like I forgot, like, if you have, like, apps for your credit cards and you have apps for, like, everything, like, you have to manually log back into each and every app and remember your login credentials and sometimes do two-way yeah. authentication. There's no way. Uh, two-factor yeah. authentication. And the, te- I mean, it's just, it takes a long time. So, I'm just telling you, I don't want to upgrade again for many, many years. So the last time I did my iPhone. 
I just sat it by the new one. They Bluetooth connected, said, are we good to go? I said, yes. And it just updated everything. How long did it take though? Like the 20, 30 minutes. Okay. See mine, that process by itself took an hour you and may I still be, had to go into Okay. You may be carrying apps. tons more data on your phone too. That might be it too. Than, yeah. than I am. But this story just irrationally supports my, I'm, I can never have an Android phone. Well, and I, but it also just reinforces the complexity with all the apps we have and everything, yeah. and having to log back in all of the apps. Don't don't you get rid of half of them every time you update? Because it's like I don't know what this is. I don't. Yeah, use there's this. many of them do. So it um, also becomes like a, a kind of an auditing where you just kind of trash half of them. But yeah. But even things like that where you think it's not going to be that much time, and like I was at the T-Mobile store, and then like the person who was helping me like disappear, and apparently like their shift was over, but they didn't tell me, and so I try <laughs> have to find another associate, and they're like, well, who was helping? You and I'm like, well, I, I don't know. I don't know that it's one not my guy job to track it. I don't well, know his and name. he didn't have a name tag. He just had a T-Mobile shirt. Yeah. I'm like, he looked like so and so, and so then somebody else had to help me, but they were helping somebody else. So then I'm I'm waiting there. So again, I spent like four hours at the T-Mobile store, but I'm just saying, like, I, I don't know why. Why does it take so long at the mobile phone store? <laughs> I. I don't know. I, I, AT&T's, it's the exact I same hate thing. it. Like I always like it's one. I, it's painful, and I put off having to go there because i just ugh. yeah i'm gonna have to update my phone soon i'm thinking about getting a smaller one oh, okay as i've gotten older my phone's too big and too heavy for me yeah. so it makes my fingers hurt yes yes kids <laughs> as you get older things start hurting as you as you hit your cell phone this this is the galaxy s23 this is about as big as i can go they had a model that was like wider than this and i can't yeah. imagine like if it becomes too wide to where you can barely yeah. hold it like See, look at look at this monstrosity oh wow that's the iphone x and, and go ahead. Just feel how heavy that is. Because I have my, my wallet in there, my credit card That's and all That's way this. heavier than yeah. my phone, yeah. It pulls my pants down when you put it in your back pants. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's too heavy. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've got to get another phone. But I've gotten so used to this thing. That's the problem, yeah. It's, it's difficult to, to give and it up. I, I, TikTok and other apps have ruined TV for me. I, don't, I tried to watch the first episode of Ted Lasso. Last oh, night I watched with, that last Joey. night, yes. And I can't watch TV anymore Why? because it's like, I know this plot. This is all wasted dialogue. Got it. This scene is this. Let's move on. Oh, because you already knew all of I that? Want every, you can't well, do that. <laughs> I, I know everything of it because I know every TV show because I've been watching TV for oh, okay. 53 years. So you there is no going. new plot. Yeah. This is the one. The guy used to work for him. Now he's the enemy. I'm sure they'll come together at the end and have some sort of great resolution. I guess what I've fallen into is every time I start watching a TV show, I'm like, yeah, I know this is the opening scene that establishes what our problem is going to be. That's that character. Got it. No need to look anymore. Useless dialogue. Pick up the next scene and go. So one show that looked interesting, uh, speaking of Ted Lasso, since that's on Apple TV, is uh, Shrinking. I haven't got it. Jody that loves yet. that show. I've, Absolutely. That looks good. And do you know who the main writer and showrunner is of that show? No. Roy Kent. Oh, Brett Goldstein from uh, Ted Lasso. I did not know that. Yeah. Okay. That makes me want to watch even more. And uh, Heidi Garner from Kansas City is also cool. on that show. Yeah. yeah. All right. So we'll end it there. We're going to try to get back into once a week, be a little bit and more the consistent. Routine, yeah. See what we could do. Because now when Mike and I first started the podcast, it's like, we got to make it to the end of the Trump thing. Now we got to make it to see if Trump comes back. Yeah. <laughs> and I think we could both agree. If Trump comes back, done. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I don't even know where we'd start after that. I saw something today where some outfit said if Trump gets reelected, it would be the biggest geopolitical crisis of the modern era. I, I think that's I, probably I, true. That's, yeah. That's probably true. That's true. All right. That's our hour. We'll see you next week. Thanks, Brandon. Thanks, Craig. 
Thanks for listening to Two Men in the Middle. Make sure to give us a five-star review wherever you get your podcasts. Check out our website at twomeninthemiddle.com. Drop us an email at twomeninthemiddle at gmail.com or tweet at us at Two Men in the Middle. We'll see you next week.